podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Yes, hello. Thanks for joining us for episode 29 of Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County fan podcast. I'm Chris Parsons. We've seen the good, the bad and the ugly in Frank Lampard's first three games as Rams boss. And joining me to pick the bones out of the 2-1 defeat to Millwall is Richard Kutcher. Hello. Tom's unable to join us for this pod, unfortunately, because he uh, he's joined Derby County as fifth choice goalkeeper. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Lifelong um, dream. I think. <laughs> they can't afford him. But Kutch, you were there at uh, at the Den at the weekend just gone. Can you sum it up in one word? Aggravating. <laughs> like like a particularly bad itch or some sort of a very yeah persistent medical condition. Ninety minute long itch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, later in the podcast, we've got another guest on. Um, for those who follow Derby County News on Twitter, he's arguably the main man for Rams transfer stories. And John Percy joined us for a chat and told us what it's like covering the club as the Daily Telegraph's Midlands football reporter. On top of that, we've got your all-time favourite Derby County transfer rumours. And trust me, there are some absolute belters in there. And your tweets on what needs to change against Ipswich. But in the meantime, Richard, you've recovered from your trip to Millwall mentally and physically did you enjoy it dare I even ask uh, I enjoyed the Bermondsey beer mile uh, for about two and a half hours prior to kickoff. Um, it's really good craft beers definitely recommend that if you haven't done that on an away trip but in terms of the football itself I mean for anyone else who was there was following it maybe on, on BBC Radio Derby like most matches the tone is often set in the first 30 minutes and uh, unfortunately for Derby and Frank Lampard and all the fans uh, there, we kind of really let ourselves down uh, in those first 30 minutes. We didn't deal with the, the typical Millwall approach, which is absolutely fair enough from them. And we just we gave away two so soft goals. It's just so frustrating when that happens. It's, you know, it's difficult to know how to feel after defeats oh, in, in August, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, you can't read into the season whatsoever. I mean, you know, look at Fulham. They barely turned up last season until October. And we took a couple of heavy beatings last season early on, didn't we? But mm. on the other hand, it's just the manner that we conceded both of those goals and the goals against Leeds. There's some potential cause of concern there, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, it's all rectifiable. And as you said, it's literally only three matches and it, it, you shouldn't read too much into it you're not going to fall too far behind at this point but you know when it's avoidable goals when they're just you know the first one we'll go through them one by one I guess in a second but the first one was just switching off from a very very straightforward set piece and the second one was our own downfall of playing it out from the back and badly which again we will also come on to so it's just you know going 2-0 down away it's hard enough going away to Millwall you always know it's a tough day. You're not going to get an easy win there. So, but to give them a two-goal lead is just... It's just... Yeah, it's, it, you're kicking yourself in the face. I mean, for balance, it's worth pointing out, you know, that Millwall last season did have the sixth best home record in the division. Yeah. Had a better home record than we did. Yeah. And Fulham were the only team in the top half to win there. However, I guess the frustrating part is that what Leeds and Millwall did to us isn't a surprise, is it? No. We knew what they're going to do. We knew... Leeds were going to be super intense and that Bielsa was going to drill them to within an inch of their lives and they'd be bang up for it under a new manager and we couldn't cope and we knew that Millwall would be direct in your face they'd be physical they'd be in your face they'd press high as a team they'd target our young players and we couldn't cope with either of those things but that's more worrying as you say because Lampard said the same thing in both post-match interviews after Leeds and Millwall which is 
we knew we, nothing surprised us. We knew what to expect. Well, why weren't the players prepared? You know, maybe they were prepared and maybe they bottled it, or maybe leads were even more intense than we expected them to be. But yeah, it doesn't sound like that. What I've quite liked from Lampard in all his post-match interviews is when he's when we've lost a game, when he when he's kind of dissecting it, he's not making it, he's not making excuses as much, but he's definitely he sounds really passionate. He sounds pissed off if you don't mind me saying. He sounds, in that interview on Rams TV after the Millwall game, he's talking quick, he looks angry. Obviously, he's just given people a rollicking in that dressing room, which I think is probably what they need, particularly some of the younger players. Looking at the actual goals themselves, I must confess I haven't seen the free kick that led to the first one. I saw some chat, some some people saying it what shouldn't have been a free kick. It was very, yeah, it was a very soft... People were always bound to say that. I, I don't think uh, on, the, on the highlights online, actually, they show the free kick being won. From what I remember... It was a soft or 50-50. It could have gone either way. I remember being annoyed at the time it was given, but that might have just been my partisan uh, <laughs> uh, tanked up <laughs> lager out in the crowd. So it was. I think it was a soft one that we gave away. Again, I think we gave it away as a result of us playing again too much at the back, which is a, is a recurring theme. Um, but when the free kick comes in, it bounces twice, I think, before it's, it's nudged in. Um, I'm not sure who got the final touch. It's Gregory got a touch, and then I think there's another touch afterwards. It's Cooper, I think. Cooper. Yeah. I mean, when I heard about how the goal had been scored, I think the, the way I'd heard about it originally was that Lee Gregory had like glanced in ahead of him a free kick. But that yeah. wasn't when but I actually bounced, watched it. I was like, that's not what happened. No, all. it bounced again. Uh, right, it bounced in almost on the six yard line um, yeah. before it was nudged in. So it's just again, there's too much space in that penalty box. You, you can't be letting the ball bounce in the middle of the box. It's just schoolboy stuff. Tamori seems to be a bit frustrating in that he's clearly got a lot of good physical attributes, but he's he's making mistakes, isn't he? Yeah, he's making mistakes, and I know it's been discussed a lot on Twitter, but let's see him next door to Curtis Davis, I think. I think he could be a different player. I think he might need a, a leadership figure like Davis who can marshal him through. It's no it's no um, coincidence to me that the defence seems to have fallen apart a little bit with Davis out of the team. As, as we said, you don't want to judge too much after three games, but not just because of that but also because we're missing two of our best players Davis and Huddleston um, Davis and Huddleston Huddleston who will come on to later on and you mentioned Tamori there as well do you think Lampard made a mistake in giving Bogle his league debut away at Millwall given that one of Millwall's players Sean Williams who scored their second goal via a massive deflection it must be said literally said afterwards their right back was making his football league debut so he was in for it yeah, I don't think that was a mistake. I don't. I thought Bogle held his own quite well. Um, he wasn't at fault for either of the goals, if I remember correctly. Um, so I, I, I actually thought Bogle held his own quite well. He looked good on the ball going forward. He seemed to do his job defensively as well. It was a young, I guess with Tamori in there as well, it was a young back line, but I wouldn't say that that was the reason we lost the game at all. And, he, and he, as I said, he showed some character. And he showed some good stuff going forward as well. What about this playing from the back then? I must say, in the video that you did for Sky, and the look on your face, you did look like you had the look of a man who'd been drinking for several hours and then what? tried to watch Derby play out from the back. <laughs> well, that is literally what happened. Um, so my point, my, my take on this is playing out from the back is all well and good, and I'm all for it. If that's the style you want to go for, then let's do it. The problem for me isn't... Um, I think one of your questions, one of the questions put to us on Twitter was... Have we got the right defenders to, to play from the back? Have are, we got, are we good enough to play out from the yeah, back? Yeah, have we got the skill set? Well, I think I think there's no doubt it. I think you know, Keogh is good on the ball. He sometimes makes the wrong decisions. Um, and I think possibly having a manager which encourages playing from the back maybe almost encourages some of Keogh's worst um, instincts because um, he's he's not told to maybe keep it as tight maybe as he was by Rowett. He had to pick his passes more often with Rowett. 
I don't think Keogh's that bad on the ball, as some, as some no. people say, but when you don't have players in front of the yeah. two centre-backs who are comfortable getting the ball in, in difficult positions, who are good on either feet and who are strong, then like Keogh and, and Tamori don't want to give the ball to them yeah. as easily, do they? And Carson doesn't. And so, got- you get, so you get stuck in that... You get stuck in that team shape, which I saw someone describe as sort of like a U shape, with the centre backs too deep and the full backs way out wide. Too deep and too split. And you've got no one who can break the lines forward. Yeah. So and, we- and you get just you get pin you get penned in, in and you in like your own system is the undoing of you. So yeah, what I was going to say is that it's fine to play out from the back if, as you say, you've got a midfielder or one or probably two midfielders, what you really need at least who are willing to go and collect the ball off the back four. Now, Bryson and Johnson were doing that, but they weren't doing that in the way that needs to be done. So Bryson isn't the kind of... He isn't a Will Hughes. He isn't a Paul Scholes type. He's not going to make angles ahead of the defenders. What Bryson ends up doing countless times on Saturday, he ends up receiving the ball from the centre-backs behind them. So we just end up going further and further backwards. And his only forward ball was back to Keogh or back to Tamori. It's not meant to be playing said, back from the back, is yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's not the system. Keogh and Tamori need to give the ball to a midfielder in front of them. Mount, what I quite liked about, although Mount didn't get in the game, the reason was he didn't get in the game was because he was reluctant to go back to get the ball, which is the right thing because it's like that whole Rooney conundrum when Rooney used to get frustrated at Man United or England and go deeper and deeper and deeper. We wanted Mount to collect the ball further forward, but we couldn't get the ball to him because we didn't have, Bryson Johnson didn't have the skills or the angles to, to get the ball forward. So it was just like, um, as, you, you, as you said, you get stuck in that U-shape. Bryson was ended up in the penalty box. The centre-backs were ended up either side of the penalty box. It was going between them and they never looked long. Now, at some point, you've got to just hit it long. The second goal was just an absolute calamity is just to, you know how not to play out from the back wasn't it exactly. I mean, and that it was the best it example it wasn't massively it. Carson's fault I mean the, it ball, the ball through between the two Millwall players to Bryson wasn't that bad but Philip Bryson maybe wasn't expecting it and it was if those passes out in those tight areas aren't bang on then you lose the ball when you get picked off don't you and it's not just Bryson or Johnson it's also the next angle yeah so they've got to make an angle I and mean, then it's got to be a pass on as you say straight away or the touch has got to be much better yeah so in general it was just I don't think Millwall were pressing in an overly intelligent way. It wasn't like Leeds, who obviously have been working on that all pre-season long. Millwall just put the press on and, and thought, can we deal with it? And you know what? Maybe it doesn't help that we've got... Maybe it doesn't help you've got Bogle and Tamori, who are both young. But I felt it was a system failure rather than a player failure. Well, I mean, we're going to come on to this later on, but you'd be tempted to stick with it for Ipswich. Uh, that 11... I'd probably bring Joe Leddy back in again. Really? Yeah, I just don't... I think he's a better... He's a more calmer presence on the ball than either Bryson or Johnson. I'm a big fan of Bryson. I saw someone say something similar on Twitter. Big fan of Bryson, but does he fit that system? Maybe he does fit it if he's got Huddleston or someone else better on the ball next to him. He's not He's not the answer to collecting the ball off the back four. As bad as the first half was... The second half, it sounded like, was a huge improvement. We, yeah. just, we just didn't do enough to get something from the game. Yeah, it took about 10 or 15 minutes to get back into it again in the second half. But and I, I don't know how much of that was us improving and how much of that was Millwall tiring. Was was Malone so bad that he deserves to be taken off at half-time? No, it seemed like it was a knock. It seemed like it was an injury because at the end, at full-time, he came over limping to the, oh, to the away end and Lampard suggested he had some kind of muscle problem. But Forsyth actually played really well when he came on, attack, attacking-wise. I have actually heard that Malone is carrying a knock since then, so um, yeah, that's fair enough. 
and the much maligned Craig Forsyth ended up uh, getting an assist in the end for the goal. He got, he got that assist for the goal, which is a great ball through which Mount left to, to Nuge. I'm not sure if Forsyth was aiming for Mount or Nuge, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's irrelevant because it was... Putting it into an area. It went to both of them. Um, <laughs> and then he, he also put in the, at least one other really good ball from the left wing into the box, which we could have been finished. So he looked good when he came on, but he always looks better when we're on the front foot. He always because he, he is he has got good. I know people sometimes disparage it. It can be inconsistent in his delivery, but he has got good uh, left foot crosses in him, um, as we saw in the playoff semi final. So he looked good when he came on. So now we've got three left backs fine for that position again by the looks of it. And what about up top? Uh, Martin Wagner had a goal disallowed against. That was, was that about the best some of his efforts from the afternoon? He worked really hard, and I say I think I sent you a message during the match. Martin Waghorn is the new Chris Martin in terms of winning soft free kicks. In that first half, he won so many free kicks, he had no right to win. I don't know if it's because it was bad refereeing or because he was just conning the referee or the fair defenders were lazy, but he won a lot of free kicks in that final third. So I was really impressed with him there. He worked really hard. He finished the chance he had well, uh, which was offside, and I think it was just half a yard offside. I thought he looked lively. Um, definitely, definitely something there. Is he... Better than Nugent, probably. That's probably the way you play. You probably start with Wagon and bring Nugent on. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be a trip to Millwall without an unfairly disallowed offside goal, would it? <laughs> <laughs> I think this this one was definitely more offside than Anya's one. Right. And Anya was a glorious last minute winner, in my opinion. Now we were talking then about the midfielders and who should start against Ipswich. Uh, Tom Hoddleston still reportedly out with a minor injury, but he's getting closer. We're told. Um, a bit of chat on social media just now. I mean, this could be out of date by the time the podcast comes out, but that Stoke are looking to swoop for Huddleston in a loan deal with a view to a permanent. Um, we can't let that happen, can we? I wouldn't have thought so. If, if, if he's genuinely injured and Lampard sees him as a as a first-team player, then absolutely not. And I hope he does see him as a first-team player, because I think we definitely need him to have a go in that formation. It just seems so weird. I mean, um, interestingly, we've got some good intel on this from... John Percy in the second half but we were talking about this before and how I don't really see why we'd want to let Huddleston go because Cardiff were in for him a few weeks ago and Lampard came out and said that he's really important and even if he's not necessarily Lampard's type of player I think Lampard's just going to have to get used to the fact that he that we need him in that system anyway I think so I think yeah, Huddleston could be the answer uh, in that system obviously he's much better on the ball than any of the other midfielders we have haven't seen enough of George Evans yet, but I'm not. You know, I haven't been, I haven't heard that he's an excellent passer. Huddleston's got the best range of passing in that division, no question. The only question is whether he can deal with the pace of play that Lampard wants to instill. But I think he probably can in that more quarterback role alongside someone like a Bryson or a Johnson or an Evans. So yeah, he's for me, he's the obvious quick fix to this problem we have passing out the back because he's the one that actually could go deeper and deeper and collect it off the back four and he is strong and does have two good feet and he and is calm in space. possession yeah. and can fizz a long ball to pretty much anywhere in the park and that's the one thing again I, I mentioned it briefly when I said we weren't hitting it long I didn't mean desperately punting it long I meant one of the, one of the best ways to play from the back is for the opposition to know you do have a threat in behind and you've got people like Waghorn Nugent Lawrence, um, Wilson, um, J-Lo, they're all absolute, <laughs> absolute lightning, right? They can all be quick on, they can be the ones to get those balls. So if you're getting pressed, you need to have an option in behind. We didn't once show we had an option um, over the top or in behind and Huddleston would straight away give you that option. Do you think we've got enough to get a result against Ipswich? Absolutely, we've got enough to get a result against Ipswich. It's at home. It's still the team that we are all very impressed by in pre-season. There's still so much quality in that final third. You just need to get the ball into that final third quicker. 
Let's save a bit more of that for part two, um, where, as I said, we'll have got a chat with Daily Telegraph's John Percy about transfers. In the meantime, Steve Bloomers Washing is partnered this season with Derby Brewing Company, the Derby Microbrewery, who have just launched their very own Frank Lampard beer. Uh, the Super Frank IPA is a light and refreshing dry hopped IPA with a citrus zing, so give them a follow on social media to find out more. And while you're there, give us a follow on social media. We are at Steve Bloomer Pod on Twitter. We're on Instagram and Facebook as well. Drop us an email, stevebloomerswashing at gmail.com or visit the website, stevebloomerswashing.com and we'll have more in a second. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Lynn to take it. And right with the header and with the shot. First one came back to him off the bar, made no mistake with the second attempt. Mark Wright there, scoring for Derby in a 6-0 win over Manchester City in 1989. How times change, eh? Now, with the summer window closing earlier this month and Derby going transfer crazy, as we all know, the media had their work cut out, keeping track of all the ins and outs at Pride Park. But one man who's always among the first to confirm almost any transfer rumour is Daily Telegraph Midlands football reporter John Percy, who has nearly 20 years journalistic experience and who now joins us on the phone. John, thanks for agreeing to talk to us. I believe you're working on a story literally as we speak, so I'll try not to keep you. Yeah, no problem. Um, no problem. So nine players bought in by Frank Lampard in, uh, in the summer. Were you surprised it was that many? Massively surprised. I've got to be honest. I think, um, I mean, even towards the end of last season, regardless of promotion, I think it was fairly clear that Mel Morris wasn't going to be spending. There's going to be a lot of stripping back. There were rumours that the wage bill was going to go down to you know as low as twenty million. So the amount of players they brought in and obviously the fees it was a huge surprise. But I mean, I'm I'm looking at it from afar, thinking that Mel Morris has basically got his mojo back with the Lampard appointment. I think you know it's shaken the club up, it's given the, it's galvanised the club. I think Mel thought, let's have a go, let's have another go. And I think I'm not, I'm not totally sure if this is how Derby feel, but I think there's also a bit of apathy towards the football league where people aren't really that concerned with, with FFP now I think you know obviously Derby's still got the January transfer window to sell players if they want to but I think a lot of clubs are just thinking that is, is FFP workable is it is it a legitimate punishment looking at other clubs you know they don't really get I mean slap on the wrist and I think Derby just looked at it and thought let's just have one last go perhaps you know we can still sell players in January we'll worry about FFP at the end of next season uh, sorry the end of this season so we had, um, I mean, I was, I was going to ask you about FFP, but on the subject of fees and that sort of thing, we had a, a few questions come in from uh, one, of the, one of the Derby forums that a lot of fans use. One of them was from uh, Saint Ram, who, who wanted to know from yourself, um, why do clubs use the, the dreaded phrase undisclosed fee in some deals? And do you find it frustrating in your job, you know, like not knowing what the fees are? And when they are undisclosed, where do the sort of reported fees come from? Because they must come from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's more of a straight frustration for the fans. I, th- I don't think journalists would really give two hoots about whether they're undisclosed or not. I mean, it does look odd when they their report is undisclosed on the official website. I think it's letting the fans down. I think the fans deserve to know. I think they deserve to know where the money's being spent. You know, how much has been spent. I think it's undisclosed fee. It just sort of creates a sort of air of mistrust and sort of intrigue where where they don't really need to. I think clubs generally. Um, off the record will tell you if you're completely going wrong on a fee like for example if you, you're saying for example Jack Marriott's going for 12 million 
you know, the club will say, oh gosh, you know, that's that's nowhere near that. But some clubs, I'm not just saying Derby, some clubs will give you a sort of hard marker where you're sort of in the right ballpark, but they won't give you a specific figure. And obviously, there are a, lot, a lot of the problems with undisclosed fees now are, I'm actually going back to Jack Marriott, for example, Peterborough will put, will put out that it was £6 million. I would suggest it was probably £3 million initial, and then the rest will be all on instalments over years and years and years, we'll eventually take it up to £6 million. These undisclosed fees are all sort of building up on instalments, I think, but I just think the fans deserve to know. I think that, you know, there's no harm in letting the clubs, both clubs, know what the what the actual fee is. One of the frustrating ones was um, was was Matthew Vidra when Derby sold him to Burnley last month, which was undisclosed. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. the the words Derby fans heard was something between eleven and thirteen. Is that is that the gist that you got from the deal? I think I think it may maybe a little bit less, maybe ten million. But I think you know for Derby that was a fantastic deal because it was obviously Burnley who, let's be honest, they were panicking towards the end because it was always looking like Vidra was going to get to Leeds. I think Burnley definitely needed a striker. Vidra, I mean, you know, he had a great season at Derby. Has he strung two seasons good seasons together? That's the big question against him so I think that was a great deal for Derby whether it was 9, 10, 11 million fantastic business for Derby and in terms of your job yourself John you know obviously you've been around for, for a couple of decades in which time the industry and technology has changed so much um, yeah. and then the questions we had you know how's, how much has your job changed in the social media age you know because do you have to find do you have to for example strike a balance between you know on Twitter where you have a big presence like tweeting out enough info to keep the fans happy but not so much that they, uh, you know, they don't click through to the articles on the Telegraph website, for example. Well, the, the main, the main, the main remit from the office is that if you've got something, it's best to tweet it with the link. So it obviously drives you people to our website, and maybe you know you'll read other things on there, that sort of thing. But the problem with the problem with um, our paper and many other papers, actually, maybe not as a problem, but Championship football isn't as big as it should be. Um, a Premier League signing for ten million sometimes only gets a sentence in a paper. So sometimes when it's a Derby signing, Villa signing, Forest signing, you know, sometimes it will just get a tweet from me and a paragraph in the paper. But also the flip side of that is clubs like Derby, Forest, Leeds are huge, huge supported on the internet by by fans. I mean, these provincial clubs are huge. I mean, for example, Everton and Manchester City for some reason. They do not do well online, like a black hole. Really? You do an Everton transfer story, even if it's £40 million, Guilfi Sigurdsson. And Derby's putting in a £2 million bid for Andre Wisdom last season. That will get more hits online. It's just <laughs> the way it is. But basically, that just shows the size of the clubs, basically. That's how you know followed they are online. And, and in the industry yourself, you know, from your desk and the relationship you have with the editor and that sort of thing, are you, are you put under any more pressure from... The Telegraph to make your tweets and and articles any more sort of clickbaity to drive through traffic. That was a question from uh, from David on the on the forum again. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we do. No, I mean the headlines sometimes don't help, which you know they're just done by a variety of people. They're not done by us, as, as journalists will often tell you. But I think obviously the Telegraph has a brand, a reputation where we don't hopefully need to be clickbaity. And obviously, you know, people would just want to read it anyway. But Obviously, you know, we're, we're told to tweet as much as we can. All our articles, we're told to tweet or retweet other people's material as well. So it's a big, big thing, Twitter. But um, I wouldn't say we're under any pressure to sort of make them spectacular. So, uh, so hashtag bit and paper, that's not something we'll be seeing from yourself anytime soon. <laughs> I might just do one just to uh, just have a bit of fun. Let's confuse everyone, yeah. Um, so in, in terms of actual transfers, you know, can you just get, shed a bit of light for us fans on how the process actually works? You know, for example, who are you most likely get a tip, to get a tip-off from to get it moving? Is it like someone inside the club or, or an agent? Like how, how do the wheels get set in motion? 
Well, it's, it's a variety of people. I mean, any journalist will tell you, you, you're just on the phone, just trying to build contacts, trying to build trust with people. You come from a variety of people you can speak to, you know, press officers, managers, players, agents, technical directors, you know, people in and around the club, even, you know, I mean, I'm not naming someone off, offhand, but, you know, even the kit man, you know, kit man over the last four decades, they've been very helpful. To oh, so the, kit, so the kit man's your source of derby. That's, that's who you get your info from. That's why I wanted to put an, a disclaimer there that I don't even know who the kit man at derby is. But that's just an example of the kit man, you know, people around the club, you just sort of have to build a trust, a relationship, which obviously takes time. And uh, I know you're probably not going to want swearing on your podcast. You have to have a BS filter as well. You have to sort of know who to believe, who's who's driving you sort of um, thing is. You need to sort of have, you know, you, and that comes over time as well. You know, people who you can trust, some people who you can rely on, or people you just know that they're, they're just trying to lead you up a dark alley, which some agents unfortunately do. And I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to know myself because I, you know, I work in, in in the same industry. You know, you produce a variety of stories yourself for yeah. the Telegraph, you know, like which which ones do you enjoy doing most? Is it you know, like the fast breaking news stories about you know, like a transfer or a sacking or is it like the more in-depth like profiles and chats you do with players and managers or, you know, even like the match reports which you, you know, used to do a few seasons ago? I, I like to do the breaking news. I think every, whatever any journalist said, if you're, a, if you're a news reporting journalist, I think breaking news, that is how you are judged and I don't, you know, there's a lot of people saying, oh, you know, breaking news is a thing of the past as far as i'm concerned and that's why i'm in journalism it's to break news whether it's second or third or first it's to break it's to break news to make people interested in what you're writing i think interviews are obviously great because they give you a chance to sort of go in depth with the people you're interviewing we had a we had a half an hour with frank frank lampard a few weeks ago and it was just really interesting to have his time you know just sat around the just sat around the table at the training ground just to sort of get to know him a bit more you know get more into his inner thoughts the match reports, obviously, I think maybe they are be getting a, a bit outdated because of you know social media now. If I if Derby score a goal on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night, it's probably all over the internet within ten minutes. So sometimes a match report can be redundant. So it's more to do with an opinion piece. You know what what will Derby do next? You know what, how will Villa survive the summer with the with, with the owner? How it was a few weeks ago. Just trying to just trying to move the, move the story on a bit, I guess, and yeah, yeah exactly, make it fresh. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously, with match reports, the the match action. So you've worked, you know, we've worked with a, your fair share of managers and, and press officers and clubs and stuff. Like, have you found any that were particularly difficult to deal with? I know you mentioned um, a certain Nottingham Forest manager from a few years back, and it Which wasn't, was that? and it wasn't Billy probably, Davis. Were you one of the ones, John, who he, who his people like filmed during press conferences? Well, he filmed everyone in the press conferences. Yeah, you were you were filmed without, you know, whether you wanted it to or not. You were filmed asking the questions. So uh, that's just the way it was down there at the time. It's thanks. It's uh, it's moved on a lot since then. But on, on on that subject, we hear you you are a Nottingham Forest fan, but we won't hold it against you. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> over the years, is it has it been difficult sort of staying impartial? You know, covering the Midlands clubs during your career. I mean, I, I, yes, I'm a Forest fan. I was a season ticket holder before, long before I became a journalist. But 
I mean, I've been doing this job since 1999. You honestly just want your clubs to do well. It sounds an awfully boring cliche, but it's true. I mean, I did the QPR playoff final. I wanted Derby to win. Of course I did. I wanted Derby to go in the Premier League because it would be good for my job. Have you, have you, admit, have you admit that to your family and friends? I have, yeah. Some of them don't speak to me anymore. But, no, but honestly, you just want your clubs to do well in the Midlands. I mean, Derby signing all those players, fantastic. You know, Derby, if there were Derby to play Forest on the weekend... You just report it impartially. That part of you has to go when you do this job. You obviously look out for Forest results, but you know I will look out for other teams' results. You want your teams to do well. You speak to Steve Mix from the Derby Telegraph. He's an Everton fan. If Everton played Derby, he would honestly report it impartially. I'm sure he would. Well, that's 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 very balanced and uh, you know fair of you to say so. And I'm sure uh, Derby fans will appreciate <laughs> you saying that. Um, just wanted to ask you finally. There's talk literally as we speak about uh, Stoke possibly coming in for uh, Tom Huddleston on loan I know I, I don't really want to come down to this and ask you any ask you about individual stories but any any intel you can give us on that one I think there is an interest from Stoke certainly I mean obviously Gary Rowett signed him at Derby and from what I can gather he is going to be made available by Derby for a couple of million obviously over the loan to a to a permanent deal I don't think he probably fits into the way Frank wants in this in this 4-3-3 so I think he's maybe got some legs but I think to, in terms of legs Derby uh, Stoke are probably looking at a younger a younger model at the moment so if it was to happen I think it'd be very late in this sort of window before the 31st Final, final question was just another one from the uh, from the forum John um, from Hucknellram who he said he, he likes the um, the picture in your Twitter bio but he doesn't know what it is Oh yes Can you share some light on that one? <laughs> well uh, I'm, a, I'm a big uh, vinyl collector I used to I actually used to be a DJ before my daughter was born a long 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 time ago um, and it's actually a record sleeve um, it was I, I put it on very early when I joined Twitter which was There you go. So the mystery solved. Well, John, we'll leave it there. Thanks ever so much for your time and uh, enjoy, enjoy the season and uh, whatever it brings for yourself and for uh, and for Nottingham Forest. <laughs> and Derby. Cheers, Chris. <laughs> Cheers. So that was John Percy, the man, the myth, the Twitter account, Kutch. Um, great to hear from him. In all seriousness, and we do appreciate him giving us his time. Um, it's not all doom and gloom on the podcast, you know. Despite recent results, so we wanted to get your favourite ever. Derby County transfer rumours off the back of speaking to uh, John Percy. I hope you're ready for these, Coach. Yeah, always always some, love a transfer rumour. Some zingers in here. So I put this one out on Twitter and I got a few decent responses. Uh, Brian Miller, Ryan Burton and uh, Julian Gerson were among those who said Julian Draxler. Do you remember that one? That would have been a, that would have been a nice, uh, nice shout. Yeah. Down from the Bundesliga, was it, yeah. I think? Um, Chris Lamb came in as Sol Campbell as player coach. I mean, that would have been a... Was that when Campbell was doing the rounds, presumably? Like post Notts County. Post Notts County. Yeah, I yeah. saw him at the day he kind of got unveiled at Notts County, actually. I was at the stadium that day. Yeah. Um, he's just busy spouting nonsense on Twitter these days, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, trying to run for the Conservative Party. Exactly, somewhere. yeah, yeah. It was a wannabe Tory. Um, Hucknall Ram, Brightside Ram, uh, and a couple of others chipped in with Roberto Baggio. The Divine Ponytail doing his thing at Pride Park. That what one, scenes those would have been. Yeah, I mean, that one, I vaguely remember. I presume that was kind of mid-late 90s. Jim Smith went in for him. You yeah. Know? yeah. Was, that, there, was, there was legs to that one. And it would have, you know, considering the likes of Aranio and Bayano at that time, yeah, it probably was legs to it. I remember, I remember like a childish, childish excitement of the idea of that. But I don't, I, I, it just feels like a feeling I remember. I think, An emotion. <laughs> <laughs> just a vague remembering, yeah. I think... We tried for Baggio, but didn't get him, obviously, and got Bayano instead, so it didn't turn out too badly. Bayano was a lovely little lad. Wasn't he just? Um, the best one by far, though. This is... <laughs> about this. 
sent it by several people, uh, including Joel Moore, Luke, and uh, South Stand Lad, Big Carlos Puyol. Remember that one? Yeah, Carlos Puyol would have been... A transfer rumour for the ages, that was. <laughs> Carlos Puyol, one of the most decorated players in Spanish football. Multiple La Liga winner, World Cup winner, European champion. He's just, got, just having a lovely old time at Pride Park. He's got no idea what he's missing out on. Would have been the cream on top of the cake. It would have. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to picture it, and I can't. It's so ludicrous. Um, we missed any out there? You, um, you, you were telling me that after the 07 playoff final, you, you were talking about something. Yeah, Tom and I. We we actually met at the playoff final, the 2007 playoff, playoff final, yeah. um, and we were both living in Reading at the time. And we got trained back together. And we ended up going for a very boozy, celebratory Indian. Um, and we were discussing some really great transfer ideas. And I think the best we, best two we came up with were Scott Parker and Sean Wright Phillips. <laughs> now, they would have both been much better signs than what we ended up with. That's the um, beer talking there, isn't it? That summer. But uh, it was uh, just a pipe dream, I'm afraid. We went for uh, Kenwyn Jones that season, so didn't we? we yeah, didn't so you him. could get Sean Wright Phillips or you could get Kenwyn Jones. Yeah. Or neither. Get Robert Earnshaw <laughs> instead. <laughs> And Tito Villa. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not leave Tito out of it. <laughs> so on to uh, on to two pretty important home games. I mean, you know, let's be honest that, that they are now even at this stage. Ipswich at home on Tuesday, and we're recording this on on the Monday. Um, pretty close to pretty close to that game, and then Preston at the weekend. Do you think Lampard knows his best team yet, Kutch? Definitely not. If if the last two or three weeks anything to go by, definitely not, and probably. We don't want him to. He's got such a big squad. I mean, we all wanted this squad to be shrunk over summer, but it's it's just inflated I even think, further. I think the latest count was 36 first-team players, possibly more. Did you see that picture of the Millwall programme, like the back of it, the team list? No, I didn't actually. And ours is literally twice as long as theirs. <laughs> the second page. <laughs> yeah. An extra overleaf sponsored by some tyre company. Had to, had to commission like a special A3 size programme just to fit it all in. I mean, I don't think he does know the best team. I mean, obviously, the full-backs, he's debating between about 12 full-backs at the moment um, <laughs> on each side, probably. Um, Wisdom and Bogle, he's obviously looking at both of those. On the left-hand side, obviously, he wanted to go with Malone. But, uh, injury seems to have scuppered that plan for now. Forsyth seems to have played his way back into contention. And then, you know, in the forward, in the wing positions, I'm not so worried because I feel like you can interchange Flo Joe, Wilson, uh, even Lawrence if he needs a breather. Um, Wilson, if, Wilson will definitely come good I'm confident of that he yeah. hasn't started well but he'll come good and then and then up front I mean we're obviously waiting for Marriott to get a bit fitter Tom commented to us that he looked a bit heavy on the Tuesday night game um, at Oldham uh, and Nuge and Waggon both look effective so I'm not too worried about it it's more about getting that midfield balance and probably a um, Davis back fit and a chosen centre back pairing so we asked you guys for your own uh, thoughts on this. I was, I was feeling pretty lazy this week, to be honest. <laughs> Outsourced most of this material. Um, we asked you what needs to change for these two games. Does the, does the system need to change, or the or the team? I mean, it's clear something's got to change, isn't it? You know, we conceded seven goals in three games. Um, so a fair few responses on this one. Um, Kevin James Wood said. Until Captain Curtis is back at the weekend, uh, the main change we need is to make uh, in central defensive midfield. If Huddleston or Thorne, there's a name I've heard in a while, aren't ready to return, and Evans has to play there. Um, Nav Sidhu said, I'm not convinced the defence can handle being so open. Trailing in games is not helping us, and if we concede first against Ipswich, you'll see the players feel the pressure. Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, Jonathan Rogers said, whatever the system, we need a deep-lying midfielder who can control the game like George Thorne used to. We know that Ledley, Bryson and Johnson can't play that role. 
is it worth trying Evans until Hudson is fit? Um, what else do we have? Derby retweets came uh, came a contribution. Need to address the midfield if we can continue with four three three. Yes, it's starting to see a theme here. Um, if Mount's in there, we need two disciplined midfield players. Ben Wright tweeted us to say, uh, first time manager, a host of new players and a new philosophy. This was never going to yield instant results. Jokanovic was mid-table with Fulham at Christmas, but he stuck to his guns. Frank has to do the same. We're missing two key figures in Davis and Huddleston. Adam tweeted us to say, I think we should try and play Marriott and Waghorn together somehow. Uh, Waghorn looks lively and makes great runs, but looks isolated at times. Marriott scored 33 goals last season and is sitting on the bench. Well, he's not sitting on the bench even yet, Marriott. I think he's just not fit. I think as soon as Marriott is fit, I think we'll see him more in the same. Uh, Pat Noodle tweeted us to say we change very little. Uh, Derby fans spent all summer talking about how much time Frank needs, and now we're already champing at the bit to bail on what he's trying to implement after four games, two of which we've won. We all want to change. Here it is. Time to be patient. And finally, Sam Mace tweeted us to say, and we need to address a midfield pressing game as it leaves the defence too exposed too often. Look at build-up from the back and work on becoming disciplined in shape. I'd drop Tamori. He's been at fault for four goals in two games. I know he's young, but he cost us a point at Millwall. Is that fair, Coach? Uh, I don't know what... I mean, Tamori maybe was... You know, Tamori is part of that defence which um, was at fault for the first goal. I'm, I'm not going to put the blame on anyone in particular, really, for that second goal because it was just a, a, a failure of the system and then a deflection... For, that he kicked into the top corner. You know, it wasn't his fault. I wouldn't say he just tried to get something on it. So annoying that wasn't it? It was literally going about eight yards wide. Yeah, but it was but it, that wasn't the, the mistake. The mistake was you know the, the general play from the back. What I would say a pick up on was someone made a point about the pressing game. I didn't really see much of the pressing game at Millwall. It, we didn't really come flying out pressing them high up. It just we're meant it, to be doing what Leeds did to us, and I haven't really seen. I don't know about Reading when you guys were at Reading, but I haven't really seen us press teams like we did in pre season. It just does not work if you don't all do it at the same time, yeah. does it? It only takes one or two people to not press. I went you, can, to the, you can pick holes in that system instantly. Yeah, I went to the Wolves pre-season game and we were, we were really impressive pressing. you know. And, and Wolves are a good team of good players that can play the ball and I was really excited about watching that be implemented in the league and it hasn't really happened. I don't know if it's because they've been told to maybe withhold it for certain games or they don't think it's ready to go, but they haven't really been pressing as a, t- as a unit at all uh, and that seemed, that's what I thought would be the main feature of this team so I'm not sure what's happened there maybe we'll see it in a couple of weeks time just a couple more tweets we had here uh, Jack Couchman tweeted us to say change the players need at least one central defensive midfielder maybe two away Johnson and Bryson aren't those types of players um, might need to think about our playing style until Huddleston and Davis are fit i.e. go more direct I mean that seems a point to me like you know that we're missing these two key players if it's not working, I'd say change the system. I think um, is it a bit like square, like square pegs and round holes at the moment? It is. I think the only square pegs and round holes for me at the moment is the is the central defensive midfielders, which is a really key position. I wouldn't say change the system because he's obviously worked all summer on a certain system, and to abandon it after three games would be careless and a waste of everyone's time, in my opinion. Um, he's got a way he wants to play. He, obviously, Jody Morris is used to playing that a certain way from the, his Chelsea days. I think stick with it until we got a few more players back. Obviously, Evans could make a difference. We, we haven't really seen enough of Evans yet. So maybe Evans is the answer in that central midfield role, whether it's alongside Huddersfield or not. Um, but I wouldn't be abandoning the system right now. It's only August. People need to just relax a little bit. We were all annoyed after Millwall. 
But as you said, you know, one of the best home records last season. Uh, not a lot of people get wins there. So let's just calm down and see what happens in the next two home games. It is a, it is a massive chance in the next two games to get points on the board, I think. I mean, Ipswich don't look a massively good side from what I've seen of them. Um, I know it's early days, but Ipswich and Preston have only picked up one win in six games between them. Yeah, Ipswich are drawn two, lost one. Preston won one, drawn one, lost one. Although they did run Stoke pretty close at the weekend, didn't they? Yeah, but everyone um, has so far. That's Rowett, true. Rowett's struggling there. <laughs> Boo hoo! Shame. <laughs> Snake. So we'll see what happens in those two games. Hopefully, when we're next doing a podcast, um, Derby will have more points on the board and we'll be further up the table. We'll be all together again, reunited. At last. In the next pod, won't we? Yep. Um, Time to extend my Who Ram I lead. Indeed. Double double it. Go double it. Take a massive, huge step towards victory this season. Yes. <laughs> Um, any more for any more before we go no I don't think so just looking forward to uh, next couple of home games and we'll see you after six points so as we said give us a follow on social media at Steve Boomler Pod on Twitter and please do subscribe uh, you can follow us on SoundCloud that's the best way to get us on Android devices or hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes for Apple devices we'll see you in a couple of weeks thanks for listening and take care <laughs>